Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and I have brought along with me today, as I often do, often as possible, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing this fine morning, sir? I am awake. I am rested. I am here. How about you? I, I am also those three things. <laughs> uh, more or less, I should say. Uh, yesterday was a bit rough for me. I went down to uh, Lexicon in Kentucky just for the day. So I got up early, drove like two and a half hours, hung out down there for four or five hours, and then drove back home two and a half hours. Uh, so I was pretty tired yesterday, but feeling better today. That's good. That's good. I was just at work, so I don't have any fun convention stories. Oh, maybe next time. Maybe next time. <laughs> so uh, today's episode is going to be episode 111, and we're going to be talking about playing evil characters or in playing an evil party. Uh, for anybody who might be new, the reason that we gather for these faculty meetings is so that we can talk about RPGs. And we hope that through these conversations that we can share some of the experience that Caleb and I have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. But we do understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Caleb, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you play, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse. If you're having fun at your table, then you're doing it right. And with that out of the way, do we have any announcements? Uh, well, as I mentioned at uh, the top of the show, I went to Lexicon yesterday. Uh, that was part of my Acaticon Blitz tour. Uh, we are still, at, as of today, I think we have like nine days left in the campaign, something like that. Uh, we are at 89.75% funded, so we are super close to getting there. I was looking at the numbers. It's it's a little bit weird in in a way that... We are ahead of last year at this point. Like We have more pledges now than we had total of last year. But we have less players. Like We're, we're getting more money from sponsorships this year and things like vendors than we did last year. And I think part of that is the fact, again, that we're doing the Kickstarter so early as compared to the event that some of the people who will probably end up coming as players aren't ready to commit yet. But the sponsors and the vendors want this to happen so they are supporting us which i guess in a lot, a lot of ways is a good thing it just seems weird to me i absolutely agree that it is a good thing because this is how the convention needs to function we need to get the vendors and sponsors on board so that they are the driving factor so a big shout out and thank you to everyone who has pledged their support for Acadicon 2017 as a vendor and or a sponsor. Of course, we will be shouting out to you specifically on the website on later episodes, but this could not happen without you, so we very much appreciate your willingness to help us out, and we look forward to everything you are going to bring to Acadicon in November. Everyone who wants to buy tickets, remember that if you don't get them through Kickstarter, they will still be available through Eventbrite. They're just more expensive. So if you want to save a few dollars, jump in now in this last few days. And if you don't want to save money, that's fine too, as long as you still come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And actually, I just re realized, <clears throat> or I should say, I just remembered that next week, 
from the week that we're recording this is going to be Lawful and Orderly Week. We're going to kick off Lawful and Orderly coming out as an audio podcast, and we're going to release four episodes of Lawful and Orderly, and that's all that's coming out next week, which means this episode is not going to come out till Tuesday, May 16th, which is the last day of the Kickstarter. So when you're hearing this, assuming you listen to it the first day, there is a number of hours left only to get back into the Kickstarter. So hopefully by then we'll be at 100% and all this will be moot. But that's the other thing I wanted to announce. Next week, or I should say the week before this, was Lawful and Orderly Week, and we're going to start releasing audio versions of Lawful and Orderly as part of our regular release schedule. And hey, since we're announcing things in weird orders, (laughs) I will go back to a catacon and drop an exclusive hint and a teaser. Ooh. If you come to a catacon 2017, you will be able to play a brand new game Ooh. that is being worked on by myself and friend of the show, Jen. Ooh. Also VIP, big, big supporter and sponsor of our show. She visited us at our faculty retreat slash detention, whatever we want to call it. Yeah. That we had last month, month before Mar- March. I, yeah, I March. We're we're in May now, so is two it? months ago. Yeah. Two months. I don't know what day it is, so <laughs> I, I don't know why I tried to, to drop a, a specific name of a month. Um, but yeah, she and I started throwing ideas around online the other day, and this is going to evolve into a card game with some pretty cool art. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. Uh, if you check out uh, Jen's Twitter, you probably will see some of that art in progress. So at Akatacon 2017, you will be able to participate in a fun little card game. It's not going to be a typical sit down and build a deck kind of thing. This is going to be a quick hit. Oh, hey, let's play. Bam, bam, done. So maybe more news as that evolves. Maybe not. Maybe we'll just (laughs) drop it on you in November. But hey, if you want something cool that the community is actively creating and participating in, that's uh, that'll happen this November. Awesome. And uh, so the last thing for me is, and I mentioned this on the last attention, which hasn't come out yet in audio form. So who, who knows when and what order you'll be listening to this. Uh, but I will be going to Origins this year. I'm going to be running two events. Both of those have currently sold out. Uh, I'm doing a Scooby-Doo Dread session and I'm going to do a uh, the Dragon Spine, which is the sort of introductory module that uh, I'm now working on is something that I might actually want to kickstart or possibly put on DMs Guild at some point. It's 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 like a how to play D&D type of adventure. I'll be testing that out there. And I'm also doing a seminar on basic DMing for Dungeons and Dragons. And so far, six people have signed up for that. So uh, if you listen to this podcast, you probably already know everything I'm going to say. I'm just going to try to condense it down into an hour format and leave some time for questions and answers. And anyone who listens to this podcast knows I will fail terribly at that because I talk too much and a lot and often and I interrupt myself. So hopefully anyone who comes who doesn't already know the show will get something from it. I'm, I plan on having like handouts and stuff. I'm going to be like all official and stuff. And I don't believe I'll be able to take time off work to come to all of Origins, but I might be able to swing down for a weekend day. Oh, that would be cool. I'm going up uh, Wednesday night. Uh, My stuff is Thursday, all day Thursday. Everything I'm doing is on Thursday. And then that way, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I can just do stuff. So I'm running all my stuff on Thursday at some point. And I think Cinda uh, from She's a Super Geek is currently planning on being there, and she may actually even join me for that seminar 
if the schedule works out. Cool. Well, it sounds like we have a lot coming up later in the year. We're taking full advantage of summer break to keep things going. But for the time being, class is still in session. So I think we should get to work. Yes. Uh, So before we get into today's topic, let's let people know how they can get a hold of us. Uh, You can find the show on Twitter at the RPG Academy. And you can find my favorite co-host at the Caleb G. And you can also find us on any form of social media if you throw the rpg academy into the search box you can also search for Acaticon or the Acaticon, depending on where we are and if you want to email us you can do that too uh podcast at the rpg academy and i think there's some other emails right yes uh, and i actually recently added one uh just because i've run into some issues with the hosted emails some people automatically goes to their spam folder, and I'm having trouble trouble getting people's emails. So those are all still active. If you use them, I still check them. But I now have the RPG Academy at gmail.com, which being Gmail is a little bit more convenient and easy for people to, to use and get emails from. But I will say for probably the first time ever, I have regularly been checking my show email. Oh, wow. Because but you I... just ruined that bit. <laughs> I did, but I'm going to turn it around if you let me go, because I am using that show email to converse with some very important people about a very cool project that will happen later this year. It will be a trial. It will be super. Super trial? It will be a super trial. That's all I'm going to say. Well, since we're dropping some knowledge, even though we're out of announcements, I have scheduled at a trial uh, Fantasy Age uh, with Chris Primus, who's the guy who wrote that, the AGE system. Uh, He runs Green Ronin Publishing, so he's going to run the game. And then it's going to be Kenna and Rich from the Going Last podcast, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, They're going to be the other players with myself and I think Eric from uh, Openly Gamer Theater. We're going to play a game of that, and that'll be a trial that probably won't come out till like July. But I'm pretty excited about that. I've I've never played the system, and I've only crossed paths with Chris on Twitter a couple times. I'm sure he has no idea who the heck I am, Uh, but I'm hoping I can use this to weasel my way into his heart and maybe get him to come to a catacomb. Cool. We've got a lot going on. Yes. So let's get into the show proper. Uh, We will start, as we often do here, with a gamer's lexicon. And that's where we kind of break down a a term or a definition of something that maybe someone new to the game arena or hobby may not be completely familiar with. And today's topic or or item for definition is one of Caleb's favorite things in the world, alignment. So, Caleb, what is alignment in regards to D&D specifically, if not other role-playing games? Because sometimes they differ. It is not one of my favorite things. I just want to say that right now because it's hot garbage. (laughs) Alignment is the definition of morality within a game. And that right there points out a lot of the problems with it because as we have evolved as players... And as games have evolved, morality tends to be something that we explore during role play and narration and storytelling. And a lot of times we find that the best games happen when there are gray moral choices and moral quandaries. But alignment as a system typically locks morality into boxes and says, this is good, this is evil. Uh, There can be up to nine boxes that it locks things into depending on the alignment axis because beyond good and evil 
Typically, there is another axis of law and chaos with neutrality sitting right in the middle. So if you think back to high school algebra and geometry and you imagine the grid on the X and Y axis, if we paint uh, good versus evil on the top and uh, law and chaos on the side, how they intersect. No, they're not really on top and the side. They're the X and Y axis. They're the the horizontal and the vertical lines. So the way they interact sets up the different alignments. That is, of course, the alignment structure as it was in 3.5. And Pathfinder, D&D, it has changed a lot in D&D before and after. In some of the older versions, alignment played a lot more of a of weight in the game. Like, I think 5th edition has lessened that extensively, though it's still there in, in, some, in some cases, some weird ways. But there were restrictions. Like, you could not play a paladin in, like if I remember correctly, AD&D, unless you were lawful good. And if something changed your alignment away from lawful good, you were no longer a paladin. You you could not do that. In 5th edition, th- there are some flexibility because there's different types of paladins that might adhere to different alignment structures. Uh, certain weapons might have an alignment, so like you could only use a certain weapon if you were of the correct alignment, or if you were like one adjacent. If you were the opposite alignment, it often would damage you just by holding it. Uh, there were planes of existence that were tied to these different alignments. And like, if you were a lawful good character and you went to a lawful evil plane, you would just take ambient damage by being there. And you'd also glow like a beacon of light to all the denizens there that would come and try to rip your soul out of your body uh, and then consume it because you were sort of the opposite of that. It was absolutely one of the first rules I got rid of when I started playing D&D when I'm like, I don't care about the rules because I thought it was dumb. And I still hold that it's dumb, though the fact that I've gotten a little bit more educated, you know, I'm no longer a 12-year-old, I can see how it does add to some of the flavor. And it also makes some interesting tactical choices that might, might be interesting to a certain type of player. For me, I just thought it was silly. And it's very common. It's one of the one of the most common things I see on Reddit, on Facebook, and just in conversation where people say, I'm just playing my character. Like, the, I, I have to do this stupid thing. I have to do this evil thing. I have to do this uh, disruptive thing because that's what my character would do because my character is X alignment. And for one, you can just get, disregard alignment completely. But alignment doesn't tell you what you do. What you do determines what your alignment should be within the rules of the game if they matter. There is a lot to talk about with alignment. There is a lot of philosophical debate that can happen because this is one of those areas of the game where it directly bleeds over into the real world because we have morality and an understanding of what is right and wrong and good and evil in the real world. So unlike when we're talking about casting magic, we can talk about alignment and choice and morality in the real world in the exact same impact that it has in the game. So this discussion can go on forever. Yeah, we could literally do a full episode on just alignment, and we're just doing it for the lexicon, so it needs to be shorter. Uh, The alignment system is very restrictive, typically. It can be a crutch to role-playing choices, but it can also be a way to make the game interesting, like you just said, Michael. It, It can lead into some very interesting parts. Mechanically, it has impact on items, monsters, magic, the class choices you make, that kind of thing. Uh, Both 4th and 5th edition evolved away from a lot of those restrictions, but 
there are still spells that relate to this choice. So there's a protection against good, protection against evil that will provide a mechanical benefit based on this declaration. But as you just said, if alignment is more about what you do and not just a static choice, we could dig into the rabbit hole of how those spells actually function and what they mean, and ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> yeah. uh, just recently, I was on a Facebook group uh, conversation that got not heated, but it was intense uh, on necromancy. Because by the rules of 5th edition, as they were then explained to me, necromancy is an inherently evil act. It, because the magic comes from an evil place. So even if the intention of the caster is to do something heroic, like raise skeletons to save an orphan, it's still an evil act. Because within the game of D&D, there is a definitive evil plane of energy that empowers zombies. So you cannot tap into it. Even if your intentions are in, uh, altruistic, it's still an evil act. And and I'm of the, the feeling that the the intent matters, not not the, you know, it's almost like, you know, is the weapon evil or is the wielder evil type of a thing. And, and I still believe that. I believe you could play a character in D&D who was a good character but used necromancy. But I guess technically by the rules of the game, they would be viewed as evil and they would be using evil even if they end up doing good for it. And that, that's where you kind of get into those situations like you were hinting at where the rules say one thing, but sort of common sense or just your, your individual sense of morality may say another. Which one is more important? For me, it's the individual sense, but within the, the game, there are rules and, and things that have to happen or should happen. And, you know, are you breaking the game in some way or are you cheating some of the players out of reality of that world if you just sort of hand wave some of those things away? I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of on the fence now because, you know, I learned a little bit about the rules that I obviously huh, didn't know that much about. But I still hold that you can do something that seems evil for the right reason and it still be a good act, even if the rules don't solidly are in my favor in that. Well, if we've learned anything from our years together here at the RPG Academy, we don't care about the rules. We just want to have a good game. And I'll do whatever the hell I want. Absolutely. <laughs> and there will probably be a magic dagger and a time-traveling time tower involved at some point. At some point, it's going to be there. Obviously, it I came agree. from necromancy right now, right? <laughs> absolutely, yeah. May come for something else later. So, yeah, as you said, uh, we could absolutely do an episode, if not a series of episodes. If you are more interested in a very thorough breakdown of what alignment is and how it interacts with the game and some of the good parts and some of the bad parts, uh, Caleb actually wrote an entire series. I think it was five or six posts in a row, a whole series on alignment that you can find on our website. Uh, go dive in, take a look. And if you have questions, uh, hit us up on social media or on some comments within those posts, and we can maybe revisit the topic in the future. But for now, we do want to move on to our General Assembly topic. Absolutely. And today's General Assembly is plain evil. Uh, so if you are going to play an entire campaign where the players are playing characters that are evil, whether that's by alignment or just by your personal morality, or in a situation that we've kind of actually, at least I have taken the position that I don't like those types of games, I believe you've taken the position that you're totally cool with it, where maybe one player is playing an evil character, or maybe even a couple, but it's not like the whole party's evil. And it could be a situation where the person playing evil is known, like, hey, I'm an evil guy hanging out with you, or not known. And everyone thinks that they're on the same side, but they are secretly working against the interest of the party. 
Or we could flip that and reference a cinematic masterpiece of a D&D movie where the good guy pretended to be evil in the evil party. Oh, yeah, that, that's true. That is, that is kind of taking it from the other side. You might not remember that happening because there were a lot of stone dicks in that movie and they were totally <laughs> distracting, but there was a good guy pretending to be a bad guy. Yeah, there was a lot uh, distracting in that movie, uh, <laughs> mostly the tears in my eyes from watching it. <laughs> So, so I, I will play counterpoint to you here because I know this is something in our previous conversations, you know, this is more along the lines with what you've played. You've played it more often. You're a lot more comfortable running and playing these types of games than I am. So I'll kind of let you start off with, with, I guess let's start with the idea of you're playing an evil party because that's kind of the, probably the easiest to start with. You're going to play a game. You're playing the bad guys. Now, that could be murdering orphan bad guys. That could be you're the robbers of the casino, you know, Ocean's Eleven type thing. But you are the bad guys. So how do you think that differs from a good guy campaign? How do you think you set it up differently? And how does that campaign run and feel differently than a quote-unquote regular campaign? So I thought about this a lot while we were making plans for this episode. And I thought back to an evil campaign that we ran that I played back in college and it was it was horrible it, it was just terrible if if we want to use if we want to get the bleeper ready it was a show because it fell apart it fell apart so fast because we realized that there was nothing holding us together as the group of bad guys the rule states not the rule, but not the game rule, but a rule that I live by. Every villain is the hero of his or her own story. So when you throw five villains together, that's five different heroes that are clashing to do what they want to do. And we had no reason to stick together as a group of villains because we were all playing assholes. And all we wanted to do was run around, do our own thing, be as evil and horrible as possible, and the GM had to come up with this horribly contrived reason that we were all together. Now, the game was still a lot of fun because we basically ran around with no filter and just did whatever we wanted, and the GM kind of pointed us in the right direction for a semblance of a story. But there was still no real length or depth to this campaign because it fell apart so quickly. The challenge with any D&D campaign, and it's probably doubled or tripled with an evil campaign, is that there has to be a good reason to be doing what you're doing. And since we're talking about alignment, a lot of what you do as a hero in D&D is still kind of bad. No matter how hard you try, you end up murdering somebody. Possibly, especially if you're DM. I'm pointing at myself here, loves to present you with difficult choices where there is no right answer, like you kill a bunch of goblins and then find their babies. Do you kill goblin babies? Because they're going to grow up to be goblins, but right now they're babies and they're innocent. There is no good choice there. There's never a good choice in D&D. That's, that's what we're getting at here, guys. It's a horrible game. Stop playing. There's <laughs> never a good choice. But that's why, but well, when we go back to alignment, that's one of the core problems. Alignment says this creature is evil. Period. Full stop. Goblins are evil. Oh, look, it's a goblin. 
it will kill things, it will do evil things, I get to kill it. The alignment is almost absolution for an otherwise evil act. And I kind of think that might be part of the reason why it was included in earlier editions. Because, yeah, you, you had a game based off of killing things. Like, absolutely, the game has changed and grown and evolved. But in some of the earlier games, I mean, there was obviously the, like the chainmail, the tactical war game aspect. But when it became a role-playing game, it started as you go into a dungeon, you kill everything in the dungeon, you take everything of value out of the dungeon, rinse, repeat. So if you're going to be killing everything in the dungeon, everything in the dungeon needs to be okay to be killed. And at its core, Dungeons & Dragons is a combat game. It has been evolving recently from input of players to be usable for exploration and social encounters and things like that, but the majority of the rules are about resolving conflict through violence. So saying and declaring definitively a thing is evil and thus it can be killed is part of the problem. Now, if we're flipping this and we're playing an evil game, well, honestly, the description doesn't change that much. As you just said, Michael, you go into a dungeon, you kill everything, you take everything, and you repeat. If you're evil, you go into a city, you kill everyone, you take everything, and you repeat, right? If you're evil, obviously you want to take over the world or have your own plans and machinations take place. So, yeah, run around, manipulate everybody, kill everything, go for it. Now, that can be a lot of fun because it's kind of a release. It's kind of a throw caution to the wind, do whatever you want, embrace I'm saying I am evil, thus I can do anything. Again, we're talking about using alignment as a, uh, a an absolution for what we are doing. What's oh, I should I just thought of this term and I can't realize it. What's it called in the Catholic Church when you purchase purchase something to get rid of your sins? Is that an absolution? No. I, the absolution is a term, but I don't know if that's what it. Re- Okay, so there's a thing in some religions where you can buy your way out of sin, right? So playing an evil game is kind of like making that purchase. (laughs) Now, it can be really fun. But again, if you don't have a good story, if you don't have a good reason for doing it, the game's going to fall apart. Because think about it. In any typical D&D campaign, how many bad guys are there? One. We call him the big bad. He might have minions, he might have servants, he might have some sub-bosses that you you encounter along the way, but there's one big bad guy sitting in the throne behind the curtain, laughing maniacally and pulling the evil strings. If you're all the big bad, you're just going to have a bad time. It's tough, because you all want to do something a little bit different. Now again, what we've said many, many times here is when you're having... A session zero, you want to be very communicative with everybody and you want to get player buy-in. So if you sit down and say, hey guys, let's throw an evil game down. What's a reason that we as bad guys are all working together? Perfect. Set it up, make that reason, tell a great story. It can absolutely happen as long as you plan for it properly. Yeah, actually, we we touched on this a while ago on a detention episode, I think, talking about superhero games and how... It's it's almost easier to play a supervillain because a supervillain has agency to 
start their evil plans. And superhero comics and stories are almost always reactive. You know, you're in the Hall of Justice, the trouble alert goes off, there's a volcano that's about to explode and kill a village, so you have to rush to stop it. Or a bank's being robbed, so you have to rush to stop it. So you're always waiting for the bad guys to do a thing and then go stop it. But when you switch to being a villain, you actually have a lot of, again, agency to decide what you're going to do. You know, you're not going, oh, there's a plot to kill the king, let's stop it. It's like, hey, do we do we want to kill the king? Eh, nah, let's, do, let's rob the bank. Eh, let's don't do that. Let's go kill some orphans. Eh, let's don't do that. Let's go uh, start our own religion and, be, you know, start a cult. You can kind of control your own destiny in a way that I'll say typically doesn't happen in a D&D game because even a D&D game, you're still kind of reactive. You're in a village, orcs bust in, so you fight them. You find out that there's a plague, so you try to stop it. You find out a dragon's coming, so you run away or you stop it. When you become the dragon, you have the freedom to do whatever you want and then let the world react to you. So in some ways, it's a it's a better model for what D&D is supposed to do in, in a role-playing game, I think. And this just in, according to my wife, who was overhearing this conversation and just texted me, what I was referring to is an indulgence. Hmm. And that makes perfect sense. I should have remembered that because we are kind of indulging in an evil game because it's it's good, dirty fun. Yeah. And here's another thing. Let's look at the monster manual in 3.5 slash Pathfinder. There were more creatures and monsters than you could ever use in your entire lifetime of running D&D. But if we flip through all of those monster manuals or bestiaries... A big majority were not evil. A lot of them were neutral, so as to give you, the GM, the power to use them in any way you wanted. But a lot of them were also good, like flat-out good. There were a lot of things, creatures, monsters, beings that were supposed to be the good guys or support the players. And... If you wanted to use them in your campaign, they had to either be an NPC or you had to come up with some weird twist of logic as to why they showed up in a fight when you were the good guys. So it became a, oh, we're both after the same thing, but we think you're the bad guy and you think we're the bad guy, so we're going to tussle. Oh, wait, we're both on the same side. Okay, now we're friends and now we're going to help each other. Well, no, if you wanted to fight a good dragon and you're the good guys, you're not going to fight a good dragon. But if you're the bad guys, you can fight a good dragon. You can... And you can fight other bad dragons because you're kind of a... Yeah, dead, absolutely. You know, and you're evil and they're in the way of your evil plans. They're not an ally because they're also evil. They're just an obstacle. Yeah. When you're playing an evil game or an evil character, it doesn't matter what you do or who you kill. Because you're just looking out for number one. That's the point we're getting at here. To a point, actually, because one of the things that I wanted to touch on is there are still levels that you can play as an evil campaign. And I think that's where a session zero absolutely would be necessary. Maybe even more so on an evil campaign because you could have people who think they are going to be, I mean, tyrannical evil where they where will literally just kill people because they annoy them. Or you could have a game like Firefly. Technically those were the bad guys because they were against the empire, which were the legal authority within you know the verse. So, are you the A-Team? Are you the Firefly bad guys? Or are you the Legion of Doom 
trying to destroy the world for fun and profit bad guys. Or are you the Ocean's Eleven good-looking guys who walk around in slow motion in awesome suits and are the Robin Hoods? They right a wrong by doing a crime, but they end up laughing and having a good time at the end of it. Yeah, because they are criminals, but they are using their knowledge to attack a worse criminal. Right. Like, they're, they're not good people. They're just wanting to get even with an even worse person. And let's look at Star Wars. The Rebellion? Technically, they're kind of terrorists, right? Yeah, yeah. They're definitely yeah. terrorists. Until they win, they're terrorists. Wow, this has opened a whole Pandora's box that <laughs> I don't want to go down right now. Well, and again, and I think we were definitely mixing our metaphor because you're technically playing a good character at that point in a world that's evil. And that's different than playing an evil character in a world that's good. And then there's definitely some play there. And I think that's where that session zero comes in, why it's important so that you have everyone on the same page. Like, okay, we're playing the bad guys, wink, wink, quote, quote, because the world is evil. And actually Dark Discovery, for those who have been listening to that Patreons or just the people who listen to the first few episodes, that's exactly what Dark Discovery is. Our characters are smugglers and thieves and bad guys, but they live in a world where the Empire, and you know, not that I'm still from Star Wars, are evil and you know inherently evil. So the fact that they're the bad guys in an evil world means they're kind of good guys. Star Wars is a huge problem when we're talking about alignment because the core world of Star Wars is about the political right and wrong and ethics and morality, but it also slaps on top of that a black and white good versus evil of the force. And of course, everyone listening to this is going to scream and shout in nerd rage about uh, whether the force is inherently good, inherently evil, dark side, light side, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I'm ignoring you. Uh, I will also say a very controversial thing right now. Most heroes are actually bad guys in the right context if you really look at the big picture well they're they're willing to break the the norms societal norms or or mores yeah. or laws to do the right thing so it, again obi-wan had it right in a certain point of view what i told you was the truth batman oh terrible batman is a horrible person he's he's yes. a horrible vigilante criminal but he's working for quote unquote the greater good Yes. Again, we're opening a horrible Pandora's box. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this, this we're, we're going in circles. But the um, point of what we're looking at here is when you're talking about an evil campaign, an evil game, the session zero discussion is even more important because you need to talk about what you're really doing, what kind of story you're telling, why you're playing the game. If you just run around and say, I'm a bad guy, I kill everybody, that game is boring. Literally walking around superpower villain and just killing commoners. There's no fun. Why are you rolling the dice? There's just nothing to do. But if you're telling an interesting story and you're telling it from the point of view of the bad guy, if you're exploring that moral quandary where there is no right answer, but you're from the perspective of the bad guys instead of the good guys, you can tell a really good story and have a lot of fun at the game. You're just changing your perspective. And I think that's what we're getting at here as we've been going around the geeky rabbit hole. With the right perspective, with the right understanding, any story can be interesting. Slapping the title of good or bad does not matter. It matters what story you're telling. I think for me... 
the most interesting version of this story is one where we start quote unquote normal and because we are presented with so many of these moral quandaries that black you know that aren't black and white that we sort of slip into this the sense like oh are are we the bad guys now have have we turned to the bad guys and then you have a chance to sort of come back around to quote unquote the good guys or maybe you don't maybe you just embrace that and be like you know what this world is so screwed up that this is the only way that this is the only way that makes sense and you follow through but I absolutely think again that session zero is important. You as a DM, you need to ask questions like, "What type of villains do you want to be? What type of bad guys do you want to be?" And you know, and let them direct them being the players direct where the story goes. Um, I know of other like anecdotally, I know of other groups that have done the things where the same group of players alternate in the same world, and like one week they play the good guys, quote unquote, and they're doing things, and then the next week they're now the bad guys who are like, "Well, last week the heroes." you know, destroyed our plans at trying to make slaves out of the indigenous people. What are we going to do this week? And then you kind of get to play both sides with the goal that ultimately you would end up playing against yourselves in the big battle at the end. In theory, that sounds great. In practice, I don't know how well it's actually ever worked. If someone has some examples that's worked well, let us know. But I think that's more interesting than just quote unquote, we're the bad guys this time. Another interesting take on this is actually party versus party. So you have two separate groups of players. One is one group is playing the good guys. The other group is playing the bad guys. You're all in one big world. And as the GM, you go back and forth between your groups. In a convention center, maybe there are two different tables, two different rooms. If this is your home game, maybe you play in alternating weeks. So on one Friday, you play with the bad group. Next Friday, you play with the good group. And you're actually both just working in the same world against each other. So you don't have the same players flipping back and forth and getting confused. You actually have two groups working against each other. Potentially, the lead-up to this is the final showdown. One group versus the other. One huge, massive conflict. Roll all the dice ever made, and everybody fights. Mortal Kombat! (laughs) Nope, that's enough bars. We can't go any further. Yeah, yeah, we're already bored alive being sued. So I want to throw this out that this isn't exactly the right moment, but it just made me think of it. I know I've mentioned this before, but there's a book that I read years and years ago called Villains by Necessity. Uh, I found it online. It's, it's by Eve Forward. Sounds like a fake name, but whatever. But I really like this book. It, and it's not the, I'll be fair, it's not the greatest book ever written. And I've actually found quite a few typos and stuff in it, which if I find them, they're bad. Uh, it's the idea that basically the lawful good people of the world have won. They have eradicated evil to the point that it's almost non-existent. And then the druids come forward and are like, guys, this is going to destroy their entire planet because you can't, like, we're out of balance. So they gather the last remaining villains and they go on a quest to bring back balance to the world by being evil. But they're they're saving the world. So again, they're kind of like good guys. But they're not, and it's their evil nature that actually allows them to be successful and bring balance back to this planet. Not not to the force, but I'm sure there's some, you know, interlacing there. But but it's a really fun story. I really enjoyed it. There's some very funny moments that happen when the quote-unquote good heroes meet the quote-unquote bad guys. And, and, you know, obviously they're paired off, the wizard versus wizard and that kind of thing. And there's just, it's definitely worth a read, even if it's not the most in-depth book in the world. But that's another way that you can take good guys excuse me, you can take bad guys and have them do something. They're still being evil. They're still doing terrible things, but it's kind of for the right reason. 
a game I have always dreamed of running starts with an evil campaign where the bad guys take over the entire world. And we would actually play that out. I would need a big giant map to kind of track what cities fall, what geographical destruction happens, that kind of thing. Because I'm envisioning massive world-scale combat, right? Then, after these guys, the players have taken over the world, they've won, they've split up the world according to their own evil dominions. Then we fast-forward the game 50 years, 100 years, whatever, everything gets worse, and the players start as level one peons who are subjugated by these evil dictators, and they have to rise through the ranks and defeat their previous characters. So it's sort of like a legacy campaign, except rather than continuing the tradition of your forefathers, you're fighting against it. Yes. I think that would be a blast. It would be multiple years of a game, probably, to make it all happen. It would be sure. stupidly complicated. And I don't even think D&D might be the right mechanics for it, because there'd be so much to go into it. Yeah. The the prep and planning and mapping and everything is so intimidating, I've never been able to explore it. But that could be pretty fun. Yeah, I've read um, some... Uh, some stories about people using Microscope, which is a role-playing game that's basically about... I don't even know if it's a role-playing game, really, but it's sort of like a role-playing game slash simulation where you create a world. Like, you have these steps where you like, you know, ages go by and, and countries rise and fall. And when you get done, you have a world with a history. And you could do that version. You could do, like, we're evil Microscope and then play in it, uh, which would work as well. Mm -hmm. A couple things I wanted to point out. Uh, One, I got to play in an evil one-shot back at the first time I ever went to Gen Con. Uh, Randy Aiken, who I've referred to lovingly as he in the green shirt, uh, who also recently kickstarted that campaign. It's called Of Drow Origin, and basically you play as a party of bad guys. You're all drow, or most of you are. One was a mind flare. And you're you're on your way to try to break up a wedding of some other people. And it was a lot of fun to relish in being evil and not having to care about your other people in your party. I know one of the things that I did that was the most fun is I would shoot wep- or spells at people in my own party to make them weaker when they go into fight because I thought it was funny. So I was basically <laughs> magic missling my own party members to make the battles a little bit more even as I stayed away and was laughing and cackling. So, yeah, so one-shots can also work for evil campaigns, for bad guy campaigns. I think they can be a lot of fun. But I want a very big caveat here. I am not interested in someone exploring some of the true darkness that you can explore in games. Uh, You know, like, I I, I somewhat joked earlier about killing orphans. If we're going to do something where innocents are going to die, I want to do it at a high level. Like, I don't want to actually roll dice and and imagine my character slicing a sword at a child. I don't want to fantasize, you know, the assault of maybe an opposite gendered character in a game. Like I'm not interested in that. I don't want to do that. Like it's, if I'm going to play evil, those types of things are going to be high level. Like you said, you know, we're going to set a volcano to explode, to take off the Eastern seaboard, that sort of high level, you know, planning I'm okay with. I don't want to zoom in on any one in particular vile act because that's just not fun for me as a player and it's not fun for me as a DM. 
other people may feel differently, but for me personally, I am not going to, like, I don't want to do that. That's just not something I'm going to have fun with. I can have fun with making bad plans and trying to be evil. I don't actually want to zoom in. I guess, uh, for example, like the Revenge of the Sith episode three of Star Wars, when Anakin goes into the temple with the younglings, he lights his lightsaber, and then we close the veil. We don't actually have to see him striking down children to know that's what happened and, and to move the story forward. So I probably over-explained that, but just because you're playing evil doesn't mean you have to fetishize some of the truly awful things that probably are happening in that world by your hand or by your design. Everyone has lines that they do and do not want to cross. That's why Session Zero is so important. We Absolutely. We have, that would have been the easier way to say that. Hey, remember <laughs> my job of summarizing you? I'm doing it right now. Oh, yeah. And then I interrupted you. So now you got to read. Yeah. Yep. So... We have talked many, many times about the importance of Session Zero. We've talked many, many times about the X card at your table and understanding what limits people have. When you're playing a game where you are exploring morality, leaning towards what is really good and what is really evil, especially evil, since that's the context of this conversation, there is a lot more of a spotlight on some of these types of actions. So be honest with your players be honest with your gm if you say hey this certain type of thing really bothers me i don't want to do it you need to make that known to everybody because the gm should not put you as a player in that position and the other players should respect that and not make the game an uncomfortable situation you also have to be willing to own up to the things that bother you and trust your fellow players to make that known if you just need to walk away and not share specifics, that's fine. If you trust your friends and family that you're playing with and they know why or you can explain why this one specific thing is a very bad thing for you to deal with, that's great. But at a convention setting, you're strangers. You don't want to share with strangers. That's fine. Just be aware of what game you're playing. Be aware of what's happening. Do not be afraid to protect yourself. You got to have fun that X card needs to be there. As a GM, if you're playing an evil game and you are not using the X card rule, you may want to reconsider. Or at a minimum, the the um, the details of the explanation of what type of game this is. So like when people are going through the schedule, it needs to be very clear. This is a game where you're playing bad guys. You will be doing bad things. There could be graphic depictions of violent acts. If you're not okay with that, then this may not be the game for you. But but even then, like I said, I, I just I, I still feel a little bit icky. Like I play role playing games in a part for escapism. I get to be a person that I'm not. Whether that's someone who's super buff and heroic and can swing a sword or can swing spells or controls nations, you know. So sometimes I can I can relish in playing an evil person because I don't consider myself evil. But I still don't want to get into details. Like I still even if we're, everyone's on board. That's just, I just, as a person, I, I'm not going to have fun with a, with a, like a minute level of description of certain things. That's fine. We all have our own rules and guidelines we follow. We all have the right to be offended at certain things, but we don't necessarily have the right to not be offended. Some people don't share the same hesitations or the same likes and dislikes you need to know what you're getting into so if this is a convention game talk to the gm read the description pay attention 
But what's really funny is we're, if we're playing good guys and we have a, oh, you just got a critical hit. Describe that critical hit. Cut their head you off. Might get, <laughs> right. You might get into some kind of gory details, but because the context is different, your line might blur a little bit. But that's another conversation. The bottom line of what we've been saying for the past 20 minutes, be careful. Don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be in a game. Don't force yourself to be in a game where you're not happy, where you're not having right. fun, where you're uncomfortable. And so to, so to wrap up this part of the conversation so far, playing a bad guy campaign or an evil campaign can be a lot of fun. You can play it as a one-shot. You can play it as an ongoing campaign. You can play it as a very complex type of campaign where you switch from good to bad to good or from evil to good to bad, whatever the situation may be. But probably more important than a normal, quote-unquote, normal game is that session zero, making sure everyone understands what the boundaries are for the game, whether you're going to use an X card for specific types of things or just as a whole, we, we all agree before we start, we're never going to describe certain things, whatever the case may be. Make sure you know that you can close the veil at any time, uh, whether you agreed on that or not. If something in the game is making you uncomfortable, you always have the X card to say, Hey, can we close the veil on this scene and move on? That's fine. So with that out of the way, well, first of all, again, we'll throw it out to the audience as always. Please let us know some of your examples of playing evil or bad guy campaigns and what went well and what didn't. But I want to twist it a little bit because we're already already get to the point where we're probably going a long time. Is how does it work if you were playing the only bad guy in a quote unquote good guy campaign? So so Caleb, we started a new game and you come to me and you're like, hey, I think it would be cool if my character was secretly evil. Uh, I don't want any of the other players to know, but I'm going to be a bad guy. What do you think about those types of campaigns? What experience have you had? And how can you do that in a way that's still fun for everybody and not just fun for you, which is a concern that I have for most of those types of games? So this is not an easy solution. Like many things we talk about here in the Academy, there is no right answer. However, I absolutely embrace the keeping secrets from other players component of this discussion. I think that's perfectly fine. There are many GMs that say your characters can have secrets, but players cannot. I understand the mindset and the reason behind that, because it does lead into better role-playing. It can lead into better role-playing. It can keep the game more streamlined and civil and straightforward but i'm always gonna want to allow that to happen because if i'm role-playing my character being surprised at the big reveal that my party member has been the bad guy all along but i as a player have known that all along and i am fully aware of his or her machinations working against the party that's such an extra challenge of role play that I don't need it. I want that moment to happen organically and real. The thing that we see on screen, what you've been the bad guy when you pull the mask off and it's your best friend and you have that jaw dropping moment. I want that to happen at the table for real. Now there's many moments I want to happen at a gaming table that have never happened. And this is one of them. I've never been able to pull it off, but in an ideal, perfect game situation, I think that would be absolutely one of the best, most rewarding game sessions you could ever possibly have. 
But that being said, from the opposite camp, it's really hard to run a game like that. It's really hard to keep that secret. This is the type of thing that can lead to arguments and hurt feelings and group breakups and real-world fights over things like that. If we look back at old D&D, you always had that one jerk who was playing the rogue who would always try to steal the paladin's whatever. And he's like, oh, I'm playing the, I'm playing the rogue. I'm just being a dick. <laughs> it's funny because he's playing to his alignment. He's playing to his class, and he's not really role-playing what's going on. This is that kind of situation. Playing the bad guy secretly while you're in the group means you've got to do things that target your friends or work against them. And it's hard to maintain that secrecy at the game table when you have to tell the GM what you're doing. So you're either passing notes all the time, so you have to somehow do that secretly. Are you texting them? Do you just pass a whole bunch of notes so no one notices the one note you pass that's like, I'm going to try to kill this guy, when every other note is, hi, I want pizza. I roll spot. (laughs) What do you do? How do you handle it? And I wanted to jump in there because uh, cause I am the opposite of that. So I think this is a, one of the the right times when we are two sides of that conversation. Uh, and, and my beliefs come from my experiences that have been generally poor with these types of games. And that's why I have kind of come to believe what I believe. I'm not saying that my way is right for everyone, but it, it seems to be right for me because I've found the game to be more enjoyable since I've taken this, this stance. So a couple of things there. One... There is just the complications of running this. If I have one player who is secretly evil and no one else knows, as the DM, I have an obligation to try to help keep that secret. And I also feel like that the players who aren't in on the secret are going to be more questioning when things are weird. Like, why did Caleb pass Michael a note? That's what's going on. Oh, and th- now my stuff disappears or now the horse is dead. I think Caleb's secretly evil. And I think it one it sort of triggers their their desire to want to figure out the puzzle, which can make it even more complicated. Uh, it can also lead to the reveal much earlier. Like you never get to that final reveal because everyone's on pins and needles that are figuring out stuff's going on. And then you also have that feeling of betrayal where, well, crap, we've been playing this whole time. And now all this investment I've had in my character is gone because the game is either going to end or what I thought we were doing comes to an end. Because now we have to kill your character. Or maybe you kill mine. Maybe we we have the fight, but your character kills mine before the rest of the party kills you. The player whose character gets killed, that's kind of a crappy game, in in my opinion. That's kind of a crappy game for them and a way for them to die. Some players might be like, oh, God, that was so awesome. Oh, yeah. And, like, it's a story they tell forever. Sure. For me, not so much. So I think that by letting everyone at the table in on it, you don't have that sense of betrayal because they all know what's coming. You don't have that everybody's playing Sherlock Holmes because they, they know something's up, but they're, they don't know what because they all know what's happening, so they're not trying to figure anything out. And they all can kind of help. They can buy in. Like, you can have people going, oh, oh, you know what you should do? You should do this. And they're excited by seeing you being deceptive because they're in on it. And it becomes fun for them as well as you rather than fun for you instead of them. So those are the reasons why I... I view it as a better option to just let everybody at the table know what's happening. But you're right. I will never have that reveal moment. I've I've excluded the possibility of that ever happening. But I think it's more likely that we will never get there anyway. So for me, it's a, it's a 
uh, ROI weight loss sort of you know situation, and I, I'm I'm weighing heavily toward having a more fun game until it dies, anyways, than having a less fun game with the goal of having this awesome moment at the end. I don't disagree with you whatsoever because everything you've said is right. It's very difficult to make this happen. The reason we see these big reveals in movies and television is because we can write it to happen the correct way. Yep. We can write the good guy looks the other direction while the bad guy does the thing, and it works within the plot. You can't always do that in a tabletop game. When we're playing D&D, when we're playing a tabletop game, we have the, the reality breaking into it. This is the old joke, you failed your spot check. Well, why are you calling for a spot check if you say if I got if I tell you my number and you say great you don't see anything, right? We know we're playing a game now. We know something is happening unless you as a GM are just calling for spot checks all the time when nothing's happening, or you're calling for spot checks. Oh, you saw a bird fly over there. Oh, you see a dude delivering bread in the town. Why are you telling me these details? I know you're covering right. something up. So the reality of the game we're playing breaks into the reality of the story we're trying to tell. If players are doing weird things or the GM is doing something weird, we as players know that something is happening behind the scenes. When the GM rolls a bunch of dice, you know the bad guys are sneaking up on you. You have to make that choice. Well, am I am I metagaming? Am I using that knowledge? How do I roleplay not knowing what's happening and shock and feign the, the shock? We can all play pretend. We all need to buy into the fact that we're playing pretend. So I'm arguing against myself at this point and completely supporting you, Michael. <laughs> yes, you get more fun with that buy-in because then it's more about the challenge of role-playing. Okay, my fighter doesn't know that the wizard is the bad guy. He thinks she's my best friend. I'm going to try to help her out. I, as the player, know that this wizard is casting against me and when she goes off to buy spells, she's actually talking to the Goblin King, who's who she's trying to help take over the city. So there's a lot of fun in that. And yeah, I can say, oh, wait, wait, my, my fighter is wouldn't see what she just did as evil. He would defend it as XYZ. So you can play that up and make a more engaging story and build towards that dramatic reveal even though it doesn't happen organically, you can make it better from a storytelling standpoint. Right. And, and for me, I guess the other, the side of that, cause it, cause I, again, I'm obviously agreeing with you cause you're currently agreeing with me. Uh, but just like a lot of times people talk about very commonly lawful, stupid, like when somebody plays a paladin and they just constantly do things that are against the party because they refuse to do anything that's even slightly gray morally. And so you have them telling the the person, we are here to arrest the king because the king is evil and gives the king plenty of time to, to prepare for them. Or they refuse to use sneaky tactics when they would be the best tactics, whatever. There's nothing that says being a paladin means you have to be lawful stupid. There is nothing that says if you're the evil character in the party, you have to be evil stupid. And you have to actually do things against the party. The party is a tool that you are using to do a thing. And I think in all the times I've ever done this, you know, in, in my past, it's always been where the, the player was working against the rest of the party. And the ultimate reveal was their fall. 
And that's why I don't like it. What if you didn't do it that way? What if you were evil, you were using the party for your evil games, but it never actually hurt the party? But at the end, where you're like, you know, through this crazy series of events, my my party member has now been made a noble. And they now they're going to retire because, you know what, we, we've solved this. We killed those people. We saved the town. I have been gifted a title of noble. Thank you so much. And then you have that flashback series, that montage of, huh, huh, oh, oh, we've been played as pawns this entire time. So you still have a reveal, but it doesn't end the campaign. It doesn't actually hurt any of your characters other than makes them rethink all the decisions that led them to that. And now you can do a part two where, like you said, you're working against, you're trying to take them back down because you inadvertently gave them this power that they wanted and you were a tool to get there. That is a great story, and I think that would be a really fun game. The other side of this that we haven't explored yet, and we'll touch on briefly because we're talking for a long time today. Yeah. Um, the redemption of an evil character. 3.5 handbook, um, Exalted Good or whatever. It's on my shelf. I just don't remember the title. I think it is Exalted Good. Had rules for redemption, like mechanical if you are evil, if you've slapped this title on you and you seek redemption, here is mechanically what changes. And it kind of sucked because it just ripped away all your good abilities and replaced them with crappy ones. But you were now good and it was okay. <laughs> yeah. But if we look at the one evil character in a party of good guys, emphasizing the bunny quotes on those. Sure. What if you are forced or need to, or want to, for whatever reason, help this bad guy become a good guy? What if that's your mission, your quest, your goal, whatever? That's the MacGuffin of this campaign. So you've got this bad guy who's kind of running around doing mustache-twisting evil things, and you have to play catch-up. You have to fix him. Or you have to try to convince him or her that this is wrong, and here's why, and impart that knowledge. Maybe that's a hard game. Maybe that character is an NPC, or maybe you have a player who's up for that challenge, and that's a really in-depth, role-play-heavy game about, here's why what you did is wrong. We need to have a conversation. And you just roll dice every once in a while. It's more right. about the negotiation and instructing. So I kind of see that as a situation where maybe two out of the party are in on it whether it's they truly are in on it or it's the quote-unquote everyone knows but our characters don't, where you have the evil guy who needs to be reformed, you have the party member who knows who they are and are trying to help them walk the path, but then they're surrounded by other people who are oblivious to this. So you have these all these moments that would happen where they're about to do something and then the good character's like, no, you know, we don't want to kill this person. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they tried to hurt us but let's let them live. And so you have these moments of, of hopefully interesting, intense role play that are happening sort of within the confines of the game, but they're not, nothing's going to lead to the party being betrayed. It's just like an added element to the role play between these two characters. Yeah, that could be a lot of fun. There are proper contexts where using that evil tag leads to a better story or a more entertaining story. And I think what we have concluded here as we've been transitioning to how to effectively use this better is some great examples of how you can tell a fantastic story 
and still deal with an evil character or a few evil characters. So this all goes back to what we said. This is session zero. This is the buy-in. Something else just totally off the cuff. What if we play the amnesia card? What if the party wakes up in jail or around a table after a heist? Uh, there was that one Doctor Who episode where everyone just wakes up and a mysterious figure tells them, you're robbing a bank. <laughs> right? You don't know what's going on, but everyone's suspicious of everyone else, but everyone's memory has been wiped, so you don't know if your friend is a good guy or a bad guy. What if you play that card? What if you have that set up and you randomly decide that one person is actually the bad guy, and you as the GM are trying to set this stage. Maybe this is a one-shot, this isn't a campaign, where it's almost like Werewolf, where y you know that someone in the group is a bad guy, but you don't know who. So you, you deal out cards, whoever gets the Ace of Spades is the bad guy, and you're trying to guess who the bad guy is while you're trying to get through the heist or the dungeon or whatever. Different context. You couldn't carry this on, but you can keep that principle going. You can use it to tell a, an entertaining story. Yeah, I think that would be a really fun convention game. It, it would have to it have to be done in a way that you could know you could end it because it would be a very unsatisfying game if you couldn't get to the end. But everyone sits at the table. One person gets you know you deal off the cards and kind of like what I do with the Scooby Doo one, which I won't spoil here specifically. But you know, all of them tell you something about your character. One of them tells you something else that is important to the story. So no one, like if your card says you're a good guy, you don't think automatically that means someone's the bad guy. You just, it has information. Everyone gets a card. One person's card says, oh, by the way, you're evil. Uh, you're the one who gave everyone amnesia. You're secretly trying to get them to rob the bank or you know, kidnap the prince or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I do think actually, if, again, if you have the right players and everyone's on board, everyone's mature enough to do this, that could be a really fun campaign game where you're good guys. But then you have that moment where you show up and you're like, okay, everybody wakes up. You all have amnesia. There's a person here. It's an NPC that I'm playing, or it could be a guest friend who comes in for that episode. And they're like, okay, guys, you know, I know we got a little rowdy last night, but remember, we're here to rob the bank, right? And everyone's like, I guess, I don't know. And, you know, they have to buy into it, but it would be a fun thing. And then that could, that could take the campaign in an interesting arc where they're now considered bank robbers or kidnappers or murderers or whatever. And they're like, no, we're the good guys. And, and so... It, you know, it could be a very interesting game that would change the direction of the campaign for a little while, gives them a recurring villain that they now want to find and fight against. So I think that could be a lot of fun in either way, if if handled correctly. And again, idea versus execution sometimes doesn't always work out. And what if, to continue this idea, because now I'm really excited about it, what if you had been playing as these characters for a couple sessions and established your backstories as good guys and, and your motivations and all that, and then... You say, all right, next session, boom, you wake up in the tavern, X character saying, all right, guys, here's the plan. This is how we're robbing the bank. This is how we're assassinating whoever. And you have to rectify the games you've just played where you're the good guys with what's happening now. You're adding in this element of, wait, we don't know what happened. Why are we doing this? Blah, 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 blah. It could be horrible. You're, you're absolutely right. Execution versus intent can be impossible to overcome, but that could be a fun moment because now you're trying to learn more about your character and understand more about the world and motivations, and you're really exploring choice and morality and intent 
versus anything else. So you could have a lot of fun with this. I think where we got to in this conversation was playing an evil game can be really hard. Oh, wait, here's a couple dozen ways it could be really awesome. <laughs> yeah, it could be hard, but it could also be a lot of fun. And I think ultimately for me, it wraps back around to session zero, but also just knowing your players. Like if this is a, a con game, it's going to be more difficult because you don't know these people. But if you're you're playing with the same people you always play with, you know them. Are they the type of players and people that would enjoy having someone betray them? And that they would they would enjoy the the challenge of trying to figure it out. And if they figure it out before they be, get betrayed, they feel successful. Would they have fun with that ultimate reveal when they're like, "Oh my God, so you son of a bitch, you you know?" And they would they would enjoy that moment. Or are they type, the types of players that would be feel very personally betrayed, and they would be better off if you told them up front, "Hey, Caleb's going to be working against you guys. Everybody's in on it." You know, it's just a rule of the table. Your character doesn't know. They're not going to figure it out. Don't try to roll spot checks whenever Caleb goes and does something. That's because that's the way the story works. But then have fun with it. And then do what you think would be the most fun for your table. Because, again, the other day, that's why we're here is to have fun. And if you would have more fun, everybody in on it, do that. If you'd have more fun being betrayed, do that. If you would have more fun not doing an evil campaign, then don't do that. There we go. I think we can put this topic to bed at this point and close the General Assembly. As always, please share your thoughts and experiences with us. Uh, you can hit us on social media. You can comment on this post. Everyone has some sort of story about evil characters and evil things happening. Tell us a great, uh, tell us a great experience you had. Tell us a horrible experience you had, yes. because those are usually more entertaining. And come to a catacomb, because I have a feeling between Caleb and I, we might have a game cooking right now. Oh, boy. One more thing on the to-do list, but this could be pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. Okay, so let's wrap things up today with another new student introduction. This is where we take a class and a background combination from D&D 5th Edition. We mush them together, and we see what sort of co character concepts we can come up with. Uh, today, by random draw, our combination is the Hermit with the Wizard. So any initial thoughts on those two? Because for me, they don't seem like an odd combination. They are, they in some ways kind of make sense to a point. I think there's some, maybe some interesting ways we could go with it. But do you have anything off the top of your head for what sort of character would end up being a hermit wizard or wizard hermit? Makes perfect sense to me. Seeing the wizard as the soul figure living out apart from the rest of society for whatever reason and the party has to go contact this individual and get the MacGuffin, get the knowledge, get the spell, whatever. This is a retired adventurer who whose entire party died because he or she made a mistake and now uh and now they're they're being punished and so they live off apart from everyone. Maybe uh, maybe they're chained to a powerful being. Like maybe they have some sort of curse or they, they made a pact with a demon or a devil and they don't want to hurt anybody. So they're living in exile. So they can't, uh, they can't do bad things. There's lots of different ways it could happen. A lot of these, though, are NPCs. These aren't necessarily players. 
that are coming to the table. So throw some ideas at me about how a hermit wizard could be an active player. Well, and just to touch on briefly what you talked about, it is very common in modules and stories and movies where they're like, yeah, you need to go talk to so-and-so. They're the weird guy that lives on the edge of town, blah, blah, blah. Because, you you know, you have the wizard who does experiments and they summon demons and they do things and they don't want to hurt people. So they're by necessity away from everyone else. So if we start with the fact that they're a hermit first, they're off living by themselves. They're in the middle of nowhere, whatever, some sort of wilderness. Maybe they have a stranger that comes by and, you know, they offer them shelter and then they, they pass away in the night. It's like a really old person who f- stumbles upon their little home. They're like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. Will you give me shelter? And this is all background stuff. They're like, sure. And then that, that old man or old woman dies in their sleep. And look, there's a book in their possessions. I start flipping through the pages and suddenly my mind is filled with these images and this, this, these ideas of power. I want to explore this. So that is sort of, I'm now going to go on a quest to go back and find out where this person came from, maybe to return items to their family. You know, there's, maybe there could be something valuable, but I'm reading this book the whole time. I'm learning things the whole time. So I show up at the, the closest settlement I have these rudimentary powers. I can play around. I can make candles light. I can make doors close. I can summon energy to blast someone if I need to, though I'm not good at it. But I'm trying to find who this book belonged to. And of course, it's going to belong to someone powerful and probably evil. And now you're on an adventure. And I'll just say this right now. If you encounter a hermit and that hermit does not offer you espresso, you've done something wrong. (laughs) If anyone other than Michael and I gets that joke, please let me know because it makes me laugh. Uh, But let's say, as always with these combinations, it's easy to have the background be a true background. I was a hermit, and now I realize the reason to stop being a hermit and go on an adventure. So I was a hermit out in the wilderness. I was taking care of the land and... A plague hit me, so I had to walk into town and figure out what's going on. That's kind of more druidy than wizardy, but same principle. I was a hermit because my family was killed and I was too sad. And now I see the same bad guy doing something else, so I have to go on a journey to stop him. I was a hermit simply because I wanted to. I was studying. I felt better being alone. I wanted to pursue the mystical arts, and now that I have done so, now I am an adventuring wizard. It doesn't have to be complicated, uh, but there does have to be a good reason. And that's what we talk about in these these story segments here. Maybe you were like a wizard's apprentice and the wizard died. So we're, we're, it's a, sort of the same as before, but it's not a, an unfamiliar person. And you just sort of stuck around because, you know, you got a cool house. Uh, so you decided to stick around. You got, you know, money, you got some powers or whatever. But it, eventually something is going to cause you to come out. So you're not used to dealing with people. Because that's one of the things about playing a hermit is you're, you're sort of, you don't understand social niceties. Uh, you know, you, you're maybe may very blunt. Maybe you're not very hygiened. Uh, you know, you're unkempt because you're not used to having to deal with other people. So that's where some of the flavor comes from is you just bluntly say whatever's on your mind or you don't respond properly when someone asks you a question. You ignore them. You just take what you want. If you flip it around and you were a wizard first, uh, again, maybe you you learned a spell that is too dangerous and you don't want anyone to know it, so you've gone off into the woods to keep it secret. Again, that could potentially be an NPC or maybe like a higher level starting campaign. 
maybe you failed your test, like the gunslinger. You you're you were embarrassed, so you were forced to go to the West. So you have some powers, you have some training, but it wasn't enough to be fully integrated into the wizard school. So you've been living in exile, and something calls you back. Uh, I like the idea of maybe is it's sort of like a weird, almost like a sorcerer background, but you you have found a place to live that's on like a ley line. And within that ley line, you have some rudimentary powers. You're able to do a few spells and keep yourself alive and happy and whatever, sheltered. And then something destroys that element. You know, uh, it could be industrialization or it could be some sort of calamity. You're forced to leave, but you you miss that power. So you have to find a way to replace it. And wizardry, because you don't have any true innate power, is the way to go. And let's consider also what 5th edition gives the hermit as a feature. It's called discovery. You know something. It could be huge. It could just be a little bit of knowledge. It's something very big and important. Here's why I bring this up, though. You might have uncovered a fact that has been forgotten or unearthed some relic of the past that could rewrite history. It might be information that would be damaging to the people who consigned you to exile and hence the reason for your return to society. Now, if we connect this to our topic that we were just discussing in General Assembly... This could very easily bleed into the idea we developed of you being the, quote, bad guy, but not necessarily working against your party, manipulating them and using them to accomplish your own goals. If your discovery is information about the larger world and you find your party and use them to do something with this information, that would be a great way to use the hermit to make that happen. I like that. I think that ties in very well to the other things we talked about as well. One thing that came to my mind, I use it as an NPC, but I think you could potentially use it in a a game as well, Uh, is actually one of my most fun, popular NPCs I created was a gentleman named Zeke. And Zeke was a very powerful wizard, but he had been tricked into putting on a robe of... I don't remember the name. I think it was either from 2nd edition or 3.5. It basically makes you, like, it loses all your intelligence. There's a name for it. I can't remember what it is. It's like a robe of befuddlement or something. And so you had this really powerful, almost like Gandalf-level wizard, but they were almost like, um, I don't know, they were an idiot at this point, and they had no control over their power. And in the game, what was fun is that, that the players started to figure out that Zeke was able to do things. Like, they would... They uh, they found Zeke in the woods. He was lost. You know, he's covered in mud, whatever. They they picked him up as an NPC. We're trying to take care of him. And one of them, like, offhandedly said, Zeke, can you start a fire? He's like, sure. And then the next thing you know, there's, like, a huge forest fire, like, out of nowhere. And then one time before, like, hey, we're hungry. Can you get some food? And then, like, a banquet table with food arrived. So they figured out really quickly something's going on. But clearly he was inept. So you could do something similar to that where, you know, you don't have to be Gandalf or, you know, Elminster, but maybe you're like a third level wizard, but you have this magic item that curses you and reduces your power uh, and kind of befuddles your mind. So you're contrary. You don't like people. You know, you don't really study anymore, but you can still do some of the things you could do. Uh, It's sort of a, I don't know, a kitschy character, but I think you could get some fun out of it for a little while with the goal. Eventually the robe comes off and you're, you're a normal character and you maybe want revenge on whoever put it on you. Yeah, there are a lot of fun ways that you could use that hermit trope to make an interesting character. Definitely. All right. Very cool. Well, as always, we will throw it out to the audience. If you have used a hermit wizard in the past or plans to do so in the future, what uh, what sort of backstory did you give this character? Why did they do the things that they do? Uh, please share with us on social media, comment on this episode and all of that good stuff. 
Uh, so, uh, Caleb, any last words before we wrap things up today? Watch American Gods on Stars because it's really good. I don't have stars, and I want it just to watch that show. You can get the app through iTunes and subscribe to it directly in the app. How much does that cost? I think it's $8 a month. Uh, I might wait till the season's over and then do that for a month and binge it. That's fair. Because you also <laughs> you also get a free week trial when you subscribe through iTunes. Oh, uh, yeah, then I definitely I will wait till the show is over and then do that so that I can get the entire thing. <laughs> I, I did that with Ash versus the Evil Dead. I, I have Direct TV, and like every now and then they'll say, "Hey, you get a free week of Showtime, or you get a free week of this," trying to get you to pay for it. And I'll just binge everything I can off those uh, channels I don't have. So that would have been a smarter move. I should have thought of that, but <laughs> I was too anxious to watch the show because yeah, I'm I'm very excited about it's it. My as well. favorite book ever, and it's an amazing show. Yeah, I love the dude who, I don't remember, he plays uh, Al Swearingen on um, Deadwood. Peter Stormare? No, I don't think so. Wait, what character is he playing? In the preview, he's the one that, that sort of, I don't know if he's like the main character. He's got the dark hair, slick back, and he's like, we are at war, I think. The old guy. That, I think so. The, yeah, the old guy that plays Wednesday. He, he's a pretty good Wednesday. Okay. I, yes, I'm completely unfamiliar with the books. I don't know anything yeah. about it. Um but anyone who watches Deadwood, he plays Al Swearingen. I know the character's name, but I can't think of it. Yeah, right that, now, so. yeah, that's the guy that's playing Wednesday. Really, really good Wednesday. He's the only one that doesn't did not fit my visual perception of these characters from reading the book. But I love his version of Wednesday. Very cool. Uh, so we don't have any new uh, Patreons to thank, though certainly we would like to thank all the ones who are currently supporting us. Uh, if you didn't know, we obviously we do have a Patreon page you can go to. It's at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy, uh, and you can donate to the show financially. If you don't want to or can't do that, you can still help us out by shopping on Amazon. If you go to our site first and click on our link, anything you buy, we get a small percentage. Same thing with DriveThruRPG. If you go to our site first, click the link, shop as normal, we get a very small percentage of that. And then obviously reviews are a big part of uh, helping our show out. We don't have any new ones since last time, but we had five last time. Uh, we are currently at 98 reviews on USA iTunes, which... Uh, is awesome. And I think I think I may mention this before, but when I first started, and we first started getting some audience, and we started sort of gaining traction. In my head, I set a goal of a hundred reviews. Like that's that was like like in my mind that would say we've done something. We're so close. We only need two more. So anyone out there who's uh, been hesitant, now is the time. Two more, and then maybe I'll stop checking iTunes four times a day. Maybe. He won't. I won't. So anyways, uh, until next time, this has been Michael. And this has been Caleb. And we will, in fact, see you next time. Meeting adjourned. Click, click. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, wait. I, I wait, do you have I, the gavel? I do. I'm down in the basement today. This meeting is adjourned. That was worth it. Totally worth it. Definitely, definitely worth it. All right. Let's stop this train. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, 
please visit patreon.com slash vrpgacademy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at vrpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.